I am Stacy Higginbotham. I have a show called the Internet of Things podcast and a newsletter called Stacy on IoT. That's actually my website too. So that's my shameless self-promotion. And now we're going to have them shamelessly self-promote. One sentence, y'all. Let's start with Devin. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Devin Hobbs. I work for a company called Tendril, where I'm the director of product. And we work with utility companies to help their customers be a little more energy efficient, either through small behavioral nudges or by connecting to smart devices in the home. That's pretty good. Uh, my name is Jim Hunter. Uh, I work with a company called Delos. And Delos is a company that is focused on helping more people around the world be more well in places where they live, work, play, and sleep. My name is Hans Anders. I run corporate venture for iRobot. We're the world's largest consumer robotics company. Uh, we make the Roomba. We've been around for about 27 years. My name is Dan Davis. I work for a company called LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Uh, we supply the insurance market with data and predict, uh, predictive analytics. I'm responsible for product strategy around connected home, connected life, and connected commercial. Hi, my name is Mark Reimer. I work for a company called Charter Communications under the Spectrum brand, and I lead connected home and home security products. Awesome. All right. So one of the challenges with the smart home, I feel, is everything's really expensive, and a lot of us, we don't, the mainstream consumer, many of us are probably tinkering nerds who love to play with stuff, but for the normal people, it can be really hard to understand why you might want something that's connected and talks back to the internet and... Lord only knows. So I would like to ask each of you for a time that a smart device has saved your life or just made it better. Uh, so the first thing that came to mind for me was uh, my smart thermostat. I have an Ecobee. And whenever we go on vacation, my husband and I like to travel a lot, we totally forget to program the thermostat into a way mode. So sure enough, at the gate every time, we're opening up the app and we're setting the thermostat on vacation mode. Um, which keeps our kitties happy at home, um, but we don't use too much power either. So I've been doing this for 25 years, so there's a lot of pain I have to get past to come up with an answer. <laughs> I think that uh, for me, the value that I get when it actually helps me is when it brings information that affects me. And specifically, I mean, it's not just about turning a light on or off. That's... Um, that's, that's just a, a minor thing. It's about maybe knowing the pollutants that are in my house. I think that is something to me that's important. So an air sensor um, and, and technology like that, that can help me be more aware of the hidden things that are going on that I don't know about. So I could shamelessly self-promote, but I was told not to do that. I so, won't yell at you. Right, I know. So I, I'm not going to say my Roomba. Um, but um, I, my... <laughs> Exactly. You're, you're on to me. That's um, one. Don't worry. I know. Got it. Um, my cameras. So I have two little ones at home. I have a, a seven-month-old and a three-year-old. And um, last night, for example, I, I put my three-year-old down and I went out and took the dog for a walk and I get a notification on my phone of movement. And as far as I knew, she was completely asleep. And I open up the app and I look at the camera and she is sitting on her potty in her room, her porta potty with a with a book reading it like a newspaper uh, and so i sent my my wife a text and said you should probably go in and you know take take care of it so 
So that's a learned behavior? Yes. Yes. Um, that's right. So I have, uh, I have two teenage boys at home, 16 and 13. And if you have teenage boys in your house, then you know that they don't know how to close, they don't know how to close garage doors and they don't know how to lock front doors. And so things that I'm sure have saved my life are smart garage door openers and sensors and certainly a uh, smart lock on the front door. So I don't have the 2 a.m. Oh my God, is the garage door closed? That's a good one. <laughs> First thing that comes to mind for me is my smart irrigation controller, because I have an automation that says if anyone's walking around my backyard after dark, like 10, 11, 12 midnight, turn on the water, spray them, record it, send the video to me. So I've yet to catch someone, but I'm waiting for that day. I'll upload it to Twitter as soon as it happens. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of automation you're like, come on. I, I can't, when it happens, I want you to call and we'll, we'll put it up on the website because I think we'd all like to see that. Um, all right, and what I'm noticing is that a lot of these things are, they're not smart. They're automations, they're one-off, um, they don't work together. And I think that's kind of been the issue that a lot of people have when we're trying to talk about this industry. And you're like, it's a smart home, and then people are like, okay, yeah, and then they're like, oh, this isn't that smart. I really wanted it to, to like assist me somehow in my life. And when I'm, when I am not like setting up my Fitbit to turn off my TV using IFT recipes when I don't make my step count and, you know, angering my family, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the devices that really make a difference in my life. Those that do are super smart and they have AI and they're using their data for my betterment. So then the question I have for you guys, because as a consumer, that's what I want. I want my life to be easier. And for the most part, it's not with smart stuff. So why do businesses want to sell us this? What is, what is your goal in getting us to buy these or building this for us? Sure, um, well, I can start for that one. Um, you know, in the case of Tendril, we, we work with utility companies and so, We've been figuring out how to fine tune the messages for consumers. We know for some folks it's about being a little bit more green, but that doesn't resonate with everybody. It could be about um, help protect me from a high bill, help me from being surprised by that high bill before it's too late or something similar. So for you it's a customer service kind of thing? Exactly. It's, um, and Customers don't want to think about energy that much. That's one of the big takeaways is, you know, a lot of us in this room might be energy nerds or gadget nerds, but that's not the general population. It's how can we make it happen behind the scenes so the customer gets the best outcome, they're comfortable and they're happy with, you know, using green energy or spending less on their bill, but they don't have to work any harder for it. The device just takes care of it. So I want to address the, the question directly. What's the motivation? behind people that are building products and putting them out there. I, I think the mo motivation is they want to make money, become successful, and, and, and do other things. Um, I think that the piece that they miss and that only very few get is it really is about the experience, and the experience has to be as friction-free as possible. You mentioned earlier, you said these, these smart switches and these smart lights, these are, these are expensive. When, when you think about expense, don't just stop at the dollars. Think about the time it takes for that to be put in. Think about the frustration when that particular technology from company A doesn't work the way it's supposed to, especially when you find out the product from company A doesn't work with company B. 
there's a lot of the challenges there that when we talk about the cost of that experience, we really, uh, in general, the industry doesn't really think about that full-on cost uh, that, that's there, um, and I think that we need to do a better job of doing that. So from a motivation perspective, I think the motivation should be to create relationships with customers that are everlasting, and you have to do that by respecting the customers and their time. So I think that if they, we change that model, we might get somewhere. All right, and Hans, I want to tweak it just a little for you guys. Specifically, iRobot I wants to sell me robotic vacuums and lawnmowers and whatever, cool window washing thing, but why connect it? So what is the reason to connect it? Yeah, so um, for us, and, and the Roomba's been around since 2002, so in the world of the smart home, that's, it's a bit of a dinosaur. Um, and it took us a while for us to connect our products because the, the, the value, the, the reason to do so was not immediately clear. What did, um, I think, finally convince the company to do so was it came down to mission completion. So having a connected product for us, especially one with, that has a vision-enabled navigation system like the last few iterations of the Roomba, enabled us to have a higher mission completion rate, right? So the Roomba is leaving the dock, it's cleaning the room, the area it was supposed to, and it's coming back. And it's now sending a signal saying, We're, I'm done. Um, we didn't have the ability to do that for a long time. And, and, and it's, because it's connected, it can get itself out of certain situations. And so it's a higher, there's a higher mission completion rate for us. And that's the ultimate goal for, from our perspective is, is happiness and convenience for the, for the customer. Um, yeah, so um, my company doesn't make devices. And our customers are insurance companies. They don't make smart things, right? But um, <laughs> over time, the bet in the insurance business is that your data is going to help your insurance company understand how you live in your home. In the same way that in auto telematics, insurance companies are learning how you drive in your car. And that, in, in auto telematics, that has led to discounting across the board. There's not an insurance company that surcharges for your telematics score. So the same bet is going to be made in uh, home telematics, if you will. Near term though, uh, insurance companies, believe it or not, want to engage with their customers in an interesting and different way than they ever had before. So they don't really want to lead with a data strategy. They want to lead with a I've got a consumer that's connected to me in a different way. What can I tell them about their home that they don't already know? Or what can I tell them about how they're living in their home that might affect how they live, how they maintain their home, and over time, uh, their insurance? So as an internet service provider, we don't make or sell connected devices, but we get the phone calls when those connected devices are hard to get on the network or when they're installed in places that don't have good coverage, like outside of your house or in your garage or by your circuit breaker. So what we want to do is simplify that onboarding by working with different partners and different standards and make that really, really easy and provide connectivity everywhere just so it's a better consumer experience. We're not going to monetize that or charge for it. It's just part of a great connectivity experience. So that's really what we're, we're looking to do. All right. And one of the topics that we constantly hear is like data. So the insurance, they're like, hey, we can get data and then maybe we can 
lower your premiums, yay. And on energy, data about my energy use, yay. And in iRobot's example, data about the layout of my home so you can avoid getting stuck in the same spot every time. So these all sound good, but it feels like we are not there yet. And for the last, I would say, four or five years, we've been talking about how all of this data is going to come in and, and be magical for me as a consumer, but also do something amazing for your bottom line. And we're, I, I just saw a survey, actually, that within five years, a certain percentage of corporate executives, and it was really high, it was like 70-something percent, believe that data is going to be a line item on their, their accounting sheets, like, which boggles. Uh, it, was a, it was a Vodafone survey, if you guys are looking for it. So um, Vodo, Vodafone IoT barometer. So what's holding us back from turning this cold, hard data into cold, hard cash? Anyone can answer that. I'll jump in. If sure. Okay. Not all of you at once. Um, <laughs> I, I think, so I'll, I'll answer as a consumer of these things and as a, an industry professional. I think uh, we lack a clear and compelling value proposition um, across most of the things that we have. I, the smart things in my house I have because they're cool, right? And um, they give me something to talk to my 16-year-old geeky kid about, right? And um, also, I think they're going to help me at some point. But even still, as you said, we, I have smart things, but my house is still pretty dumb. So I think in the absence of a really clear, really compelling value proposition, it's going to be hard to realize uh, the true value of the data from a commercial standpoint. I would, I would actually uh, answer this a little differently. I would think that it's not necessarily data they want, it's context they want. And I would say that what context is, is a picture. And if you think about a picture, any picture, look at any picture you look at, it's actually made up by a series of pixels. And we don't have enough pixels to create pictures right now. When we talk about the data that's coming, often it's a lot of repeated data over time. And that data actually dies on the line. 99% of that data is actually useless the moment we look at it. And, it. and we're looking at trend data. So we may see five data points. That's not a lot of pixels. That's just a little bit of motion of, of, of noise within an environment. Not only do we have to have the pixels, but we've got to be able to arrange them correctly to create the picture. So we've got a long way to go before the data. And, and I say long way in a, in a um, way to think about how fast things are moving. It's not that long. But because we don't have those pixels, because we don't have that context, the data doesn't have value yet. But that's changing. There's more and more things coming online. Yeah, I mean, I, I generally agree with that, but I would argue we do have the pixels. I mean, a lot, there's lots, back to my example of the cameras, there's lots of cameras, ISP cameras, or IP cameras, I'm sorry, are extremely popular. Um, they're everywhere. But, but what to do with them, the, the, the context that, that, that is captured in that stream is lost, right? And, and so it's, and there's lots of things you need to know. It's what's in this picture, what's going on, what time of day is it, what's all the things that you need to do that we do naturally, right? Watching my daughter and my son learn things, right? It's, it's, it's amazing to watch a child and how they learn and how complex that process is. We're not there yet in terms of the technology, in my mind, um, to do that. I do think it's coming and it's happening. In our case, being able to map the room, yes, the primary reason is to complete the mission, but now it's we can understand at least the spatial, under, the spatial context of that home, the size of that home, 
even what particular rooms are, that's a layer of information that does add up to that context. So I'll, I'll flip that back to you and say, I, I agree with you at the local level. Sure. You're solving a problem locally to the home, and the humans are closest to that context, so they can actually fill in some gaps that you wouldn't be able to. You, you mentioned the word, um, we know when you're doing this, and you're doing that, and you're doing the other thing. That, to me, is scary. I like that humanity is doing this, we are doing this, not necessarily that individual data, because that individual data has its own challenges of how it's being used, because uh, in Europe, GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, has changed the relationship between the data that people have and the people who are trying to take their data from them. In California, the California Consumer Protection Act, it's, it's a trend that's making it so that I own the data, and you can't take the data from me, uh, and, and if you do, there's some sort of consequences from that if it doesn't work out well. So I would agree with you that from a local perspective, but when you talk about the industry and these guys having this in the bottom line at the enterprise level, no, that's a much higher view that you've got to get and you've got to get a lot more generalized data for that. But I think that personalization is what makes it useful to consumers. And so utilities have actually been struggling with this for a long time. They've been upgrading their meters to smart meters. So instead of rolling the truck once every 30 days and taking a read, they're now reading it every 15 minutes. And they've struggled to prove value to the commissions about why it's worthwhile to roll these things out. And so they start with just sharing the data with their customers. And the customer says, great, I used five kilowatt hours last Tuesday between 2 and 3 PM. Like, what does that mean? Is that good? Is that bad? What should I do with this information? Um, so that's the baseline, but then what you have to do is personalize the experience for them. So point out an abnormality. You're using more than similar homes. Or we noticed an unusual peak last Tuesday. There might be something going on with your air conditioning unit, for example. And so you have to bring it to that personal level um, in order to pro provide value for consumers. Nope. <laughs> she warned me she would do that. Jim, you already segued so nicely into privacy, and which is where we're... This is less a privacy thing, but this is there is a trend right now in the home space for local control and local understanding, and also not sharing your data beyond certain parties. So there's, that's one trend. But at the same time, there's this completely different trend where we're like, let's hook everything up to Google and Alexa without people seeming to realize that when they do that, they're actually sharing the data that they were worried about in the first place. I would love for you guys to talk about how to communicate with consumers what's actually happening. And do we think it's even reasonable or possible or even valuable for consumers to actually own their data, as it were? I'm very curious your takes on that. Actually, let's start with iRobot. <laughs> so um, Stacy and I were talking about a little bit about this earlier. I, I always come back to the example where five years ago, uh, Samsung put microphones in its TVs, and it, CNET did a big piece on it, and there was this big uproar. Meanwhile, Alexa had actually launched a couple months before that happened. No one knew what it was yet. No one cared. Six months to a year later, they're selling, well, at the time, well, now, millions of these things, um, and no one seems to care at all. And the reason for that is because people got a basic utility out of the device, right? People were worried about Samsung. It was less, I do think that it was, oh, there's a microphone in my house now, but clearly people got over that when they knew that they could set a timer or listen to music. Um, so I do think that there is a certain amount of this that comes back to just what is the utility that the, consumer, that the customer is getting. 
but there also now is a big transparency problem where it, it could be abused, it is being abused, we've seen it, um, and, and I think everyone has to be a little bit more transparent with the user about that. Uh, but that's very company by company, right, very specific. We're not gonna sell your data. You have, we have a map of your home, it lives on that robot, it's not going anywhere. Um, we may tell someone there's something called a kitchen because you may wanna be able to turn the lights on in your kitchen with Alexa, but that's all it would know, is that there is a kitchen. Yeah, I agree. I think it's all about giving consumers choice and then letting them decide. And if they choose that they don't want that data shared, make it very easy for them to delete that data everywhere that it's been stored and make it really clear, is this data live on the device or does it also live in some other system? Um, I think, I don't know if that's the full prescription of how to like label what the data is, but I think, is it local or is it cloud? And then make it very easy to see it and shut it off and delete it. So how are we doing at that today? Where, like scale of one to 10, one being Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, 10 being we are, you know, Stacy, would you like me to tell Amazon that you are turning on your light in the following rooms and also the color? Where are we in that scale? I think that uh, my answer to this is that we are very low in that scale. Uh, and, and I wanted to interject because I didn't get to answer the last question. I'm going to follow up with this. I, I think I absolutely agree with you. It's, it's a cost versus value relationship that we're trying to evaluate. But I think that um, human beings are, are very much driven by whatever their needs are at the time. And we'll see, like you said, we, we have very short memories with regards to, to different things that happen. So you'll see this idea, and, and there's, this, there's this concept that we have on the coasts that, and, and in technology that people care about the privacy of their data. And sometimes I think that maybe that is something that we are actually holding ourselves because we know what's under the covers. Other people are like, yeah, so what? They know I went to McDonald's. They, they got my GPS on my phone. That helps me get around. So they can make that relationship of the value and the cost very easily. Um, and the, the real thing we see is when there's violations and they're public and they're in the news and everything like that. Oh, everybody freaks out for about two or three weeks and then it falls back down. That's just the, the nature of it. But you've got to be ready when those freakouts happen to make sure you've done things and you're a good steward with the data. I think from, from our perspective, we have to be responsible and we have to lead with responsibility because we're out there in front. We have to be good examples of everything that's there. Um, I, I agree, just to kind of blend the two, the two topics. Um, I think you mentioned some of the emerging standards, GDPR. We, we need that, or we need some of those principles, and we're a long ways from where we need to be. Um, I think consistently reminding consumers that you shared your data for this reason is, is going to be something that has to happen, and it, and it doesn't happen today. Um, but I think we also have to hearken back to um, to the, the value proposition. If I share my uh, Fitbit data with my gym because they give me 50% off of my monthly fee, I don't have to be reminded of that. I get it, right? And so what's the story? We, to answer your question, we're not doing a good job today. We, the, the big we, um, but I am optimistic about the future. And I think we're technically checking the box. It's just buried in terms and conditions that nobody reads. Yes. I was going to point yes. That out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. 
And so it's about how do you either directly tie it to value so customers understand or just say it in plain English or show them the same data that you have access to that you're sharing and kind of draw the connection. Here's what we have. Here's what we're using it for. Here's where you can go to change everything. So there's a user experience piece as well. So I'm going to add another layer on this, and that is, oh, we're talking about data, like my actual, I turned this light bulb on. But let's take it up a notch to inference. So let's, now we're all talking about AI. It's very exciting. Now you might say, oh, when someone turns their light on at 3 AM consistently, they probably have insomnia, which is associated with, I'm just going to make this up, heart attacks. And thus, they're a terrible risk for a health insurance company. And then suddenly, we're looking at, and this is, this is more of people's fear when they start looking. I mean, yes, there are people who are like, I do not want the naked pictures of me from my video camera on the web, which is totally understandable, you guys. But there's also potential for economic harm coming from this. And I'm curious what your take is on that. I don't think we're there yet, but there's a real fear that we're going there. Hollywood's done a really good job of scaring us on these, these topics, right? If you, some of these movies, even for the last 20 years, it's like, oh, this person has this terrible disease. This person's been diagnosed with AIDS, for example, back in the, there's a movie, um, it was one of the, the um, like, um, I think the movie was one of the uh, Harrison Ford movies where he was, uh, and the idea was that guy was being blackmailed. And I think that's where it comes to. It's, it's not about your data actually being used in the way that you intended it to be used. It's about it being lost control of. And I think that's what GDPR is trying to help, making sure that the people are responsible. You're a good steward with the data. The, the, the tenets of that are you have the right to be forgotten. You can wipe it anytime you want. You have the right to opt out. You have, you have more rights than you used to have in control of that data. And the companies that actually own that data now, there's, there's teeth in that because they can be fined. That's what was the missing piece. Um, as, as far as the industry goes, it really does take, for some, for some degree, some negative impact. Um, there's a lot less products out there, if you've ever noticed now, that you can bring up, and they have password as a default password when you turn them on. The reason is because the industry took a shot about two years ago from something called Mariah that basically was looking at all the vulnerabilities that were out there, and everybody said, well, we can't be vulnerable anymore, so we've got to ship a product that actually has some level of security built into it so you're not a victim as soon as you plug the darn thing into the network. I think that, um, just to, to close on that, I think that the, the whole point of that is the data itself and the stewardship of that data from when they either take it from you or you share it with them, and how that data is actually managed in the life cycle is extremely important and we don't spend enough time talking about that. Yeah, that's right. I agree. I think that um, when we think about who owns the data, which is the recurring question that comes up, uh, the consumer has to own it. And, you know, your analogy of the 3 a.m. wake up um, hits home with us because I, we support the life insurance space and sleep is a really big indicator of mortality, right? And so we have to be super responsible. Our guiding principles have to begin with value to the consumer and privacy um, and, of course, data ownership. And they have to know what it's being used for, and it has to be in their control to change it. Isn't, isn't a form of this playing out right now in China with the social score and your ability, um, you know, how well you're a model citizen? Yeah. 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna crush bring it back to the smart home. I'm I'm happy to hear, but like I'm imagining the Chinese government's social score taken to my home and yikes. But I want us not to, to get too crazy there. But I was going to ask you, do you foresee that happening where my smart home data starts affecting, and I know you said nobody gives you surcharges mm -hmm. associated with your data, but do you see that helping establish new actuarial tables and changing the way people pay for their life insurance based on, or health insurance based on their activities? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I, I don't support the health insurance space. That gets really icky and there's a thing called hippo. And so that's, a, that's an independent business. But life, I think so. Home, I think so. Because, um, you know, we live in our homes in a very unique way. And uh, in, a, in a world where we all sort of hunger for cheaper insurance rates, home, auto, life, commercial, what have you. Um, if there is a compelling story, actuarial story, around how you live in your home and what that means to the, the premium you pay, then I think it's going to matter. I think it's going to take time. This isn't next year. This might not even be five years from now, right? But uh, there is a story to tell, and I think it's even broader than just your connected home. Your connected car is, is actively interacting with your home and with your Fitbit, and those all threaded together paint a, a vivid three-dimensional picture of who you are as an insurance risk. Right. Um, but that's how we have to be thinking about this as sort of data and insurance visionaries. You're scared to death. This I set fire to paper in my sink to test smoke alarms, so I can tell you my insurer is going to be like, oh, no. No. I saw a compelling uh, demonstration at CES of a company that did something very simple. They put motion sensors in the major areas. They put one in the bedroom, they put one in the living room. All they were were motion sensors. And over a period of two months, they plotted the motion in those spaces over time. And there's, for example, a very clear indication when you have an somebody approaching Alzheimer's because they're up in the middle of the night and because they're randomly going from room to room. Something you wouldn't know without being able to measure that. But you take that back around to the things that you're doing from, from the insurance of the home because now you have a, a challenge to the safety of the home. Now you have a challenge to the health of the individual. It's, it's a very real piece, and you can do it without invading the privacy. You don't have to have cameras focused on everything that's there. You just have to intelligently look at the, the cause and effect of, of different conditions that you want to you know, so, learn so from. So who do you tell that I have Alzheimer's? I haven't told anybody yet. Okay. I don't remember, actually. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about when we buy this stuff, because you mentioned terms and conditions and how they're not awesome. Uh, those were not your exact words. I'm, I'm saying those things, not her, but she agrees. So what are some ways we can do to communicate with people who are busy and who do not, I mean, we all know that no one's going to read this, so how, there have been talk about like nutrition labels for data, but talk, like what are some ideas that are percolating in your industry about how to talk to people and create these value propositions and how we talk and use, about your, use your data? Sure. So it could be as simple as if you have some sort of app or email that goes out to customers who use your smart device, you show them the data that they have, and then you give them some useful information about it, some sort of insight that they wouldn't have already, that they wouldn't have gotten without this device in their home. So for example, 
maybe how they use energy across the course of the day or what their average set point is and how it compares to similar homes. And in just plain English, say, you know, this is how we know this, this is what we do with your data, and here's where you can go to control your preferences. Yeah, I, I, I agree with I agree with that. I think it's it's still in the context of or tying it to some way to back to the value, back to the utility. Like here's an example of the things that we're doing with this. Um, and you mentioned, I think, you know, repeating, repeating at some cadence in a relatively friendly, kind way that this might be something that, that you're doing with it and just and just that just just reminding them of that. So my um, Roomba might share like my Roomba might give me like an outline of my house or something, like a map of my house and it's like this is what I cleaned today, Stacy. Yeah, no, absolutely, right? And and, and that get the kitchen example that I that I mentioned, right? The newest Roomba does do that for you. It you can it will in the app, you will see a layout of whatever space that was cleaned. It will then start to label those rooms. You have the power to label those rooms um, and just s simple things like that, right? And we're getting there to the point where the context of, well, if it's the kitchen, we know that we should probably clean that more often because that's where there's more messes or the kids are in the kids' room or the playroom or whatever it is. And just those little nudges at the same time are just building credibility, right? It's, a, it's really a credibility thing and a transparency thing. So I, I think in addition to showing what data is being collected, I think it should be required in the technical specs to list all of the data collection abilities you have. So if you build a microphone in your product, you have yeah. to list there's a microphone or an air quality sensor. Every sensor that collects data, I have this sensor and here's the type of data it collects. Yeah, and, the, and we didn't really talk about this before, but I think it gets to, to those sort of when you're actually making physical products. Chrissy, you mentioned this on your podcast. Uh, I'll plug your podcast. Um, you know, if, if you're creating physical devices in the home, this has to start, even if it's a software device, a software product, this has to start, this has to be a basic foundation, a basic building block of the concept development process and the product development process. Because if it's not, that is never gonna happen. Um, regulation could step in, but I, we need to be better than that. So, as I mentioned, we, we work with wellness. Um, we work with Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic. We work with a lot of medical experts, and we uh, are in the commercial, I'm not plugging, uh, the commercial hospitality and the residential sector. There's a lot of data to be gathered. So I think that the way to think about this is to, is to change the, the story just a little bit from a, from a mentality perspective. Imagine that I'm not just sharing my data. Imagine that there's somebody that is an employee of mine, I'm handing the data off to them. What would I expect of them? Would I expect to give them the data and then run and go do stuff with it and, and just tell me, here's why you're giving it to me, I'm gone. No, we expect to have reports back of how that data is actually doing good, how that data is actually being used. So to the point of, yeah, this will do this, no, no, this is also doing this. I think that's the big piece that's missing is how that data is actually transforming other people's lives. There's a, there's a big opportunity for that transparency to carry through the life cycle of the data. There's a microphone shortage. So I want you guys to get your questions ready because this is about to be your time. And I, I want to ask you, um, how again, where are we on the spectrum of actually communicating this back to the customer and creating this positive feedback loop where we're like, yeah, we have this, you're getting this out of it. In I would say even in creating these experiences, everyone I talk to has this great 
warm and fuzzy vision, but really the only thing I hear about is like how Facebook's using my stuff to like sell ads to like Nazis or something. <laughs> well, that's pretty scary. Um, so I think that for, for my company, we struggle because people don't care that much about energy, right? At the end of the day, like if the lights turn on and my bill's not too high, it's, it's really like not a top of mind concern. And so I think we do a pretty good job communicating everything that's available. It's just how do you engage customers on those meaningful insights that we derive from the data so they understand why it matters and we're not just sharing it for its own sake. And it matters because your goal is to conservation goals? Exactly. Exactly. So we work with um, utilities who have incentives to either reduce demand overall or pull it out of certain high peak times to prevent blackouts or firing up a peak plant or something like that. So there's a massive uh, impact to the world for us doing this. Um, and so it's how do you get customers to care um, and make it a compelling value proposition for them individually, so much so that they'll opt into the program. Because usually the, the, the feel-good message that it's good for the world isn't enough for somebody to sign up. Oh, no. Yeah. My, my house is going to be ice cold in the summer, and I don't care how many <laughs> nuclear power plants we have to live We'd have to figure out how to tailor the message just for you. Um, maybe, maybe we'll figure out when you're not home, and we'll let it heat up during that time period and pre-cool it so you never even know. Uh -oh. <laughs> so um, there is, uh, I, I think, a there's a sensitive data point that we all carry around with us today that existed long before smart home, and that's our credit score. And we all, I think, hold our credit score near and dear to us, and we guard it. We want to know if and when and how it's used. Um, but we don't always know if and when and how it's used. But uh, it's governed in a in a very rigorous way, and I think a way that smart home data should be. And anytime your credit score is used, be it to make a loan or an insurance transaction or in your utility transaction, I don't know if credit score is used in that. Um, and a decision is made using that, using your credit score, you have to know about it. Uh, the, the, the business that used it has to tell you that they used it. You have to give consent. And then if an adverse decision was made in the use of that, then a letter has to go out, and you, ha you have the ability to respond to that. So there may be some lessons to be learned from that one data point that none of us want to give up, right, and, um, and use every day. Actually, you could argue that uh, that industry has already given up that information on the web <laughs> yeah. and pretty much screwed it up. That's right. They don't deserve to have that, that's right. That's right. And there are heavy. Fortunately, there are heavy penalties to be paid for that. But you're right. It it, it, it could stand one more layer of rigor. I, I did cringe a little when you gave that example. <laughs> 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 that too soon. <laughs> All right. Other questions? Hands? No. I can get, oh, we do. Have yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about like single family types. Viewing it is what it sounds like. What happens when all this stuff gets put into apartment buildings, condo buildings, and stuff, and you just have to kind of opt in and move in? Like, what is that like? I would say that um, when you are in the multi dwellings and, and, you're, and you're putting this stuff in, you still have to have the account, 
right? To, to put the lighting system in, to put the different pieces in, they're still tied to your account and use something called OAuth to tie it back to the service that's gonna govern it. So you still have the ability to override that by choosing not to opt the technology in in most of these cases because they have to tie that back to the individual person that's in the home in many cases. I know that in some cases, landlords are looking at this and they're, they're doing it kind of like a, a renovation like you would in like a New York City apartment where they will put everything in, but they only open the accounts for people who opt in. That's not going to work for smart locks, but it does tend to work for light switches and thermostats. You may get some people who are not. The other thing they're doing is they're offering actually health and wellness services. So they'll do things like hey, you know that neighbor you always call me about because their dog is like barking? I could put a sensor in there that will actually show you, them, and me the decibel level that's happening every single time. And that's really compelling to someone who might be dealing with a noise complaint. It's also really compelling for you as a landlord because you're like, oh, no, actually, it's not that bad, or whatever. So those are some of the things that might, the quid pro quo, as it were. I don't know if anyone else has thoughts. Okay, just, just one suggestion. I knew you'd have a thought, Tim. Just, just, just one suggestion, and this is in general around technology. Um, there are, the door lock is, is an example of where I think we, in, in many of these cases, we have failed. Um, if you think about cars, when cars are manufactured, are there, are there cars that actually have windshield wipers that are automatic that aren't manual also? Do we ever have the headlights that we can't actually override the automatic? The, the challenge with putting a door lock on that only works when it's connected or only works through the technology is there's no override. And I think that's part of the challenge is we're really putting a lot of faith in the technology as we go forward. I, I, live, in a, I live in a building in, in Manhattan and I have these little keys that I press on the lock to unlock. It's a pain in the butt actually. And, and sometimes these keys lose their memory. So I'm upstairs and I'm, I can't get in my apartment so I gotta go back downstairs and get it done. We did the same thing in hotels for we go to, to any of these electronic shows and, and our cars are all wiped back in the early days and we'd have to go do that. Those are, I think, examples of failures of committing the entire technology as the only way to solve the problem. So I think we can think more creatively around these. Yeah, I liked the idea you touched on of offering services. So I wonder if you could 
have a reason to opt in. So if there's some sort of program that could help them maybe save on their rent or something if they opt into certain programs or um, save on their utility bills or uh, basically pay for different offerings, or maybe it's included as the reason to sign up. But if you can have a service that goes with it, then there's a reason for the customers to sign up. And so- yeah, like a lot of context, a lot of like explaining why somebody would want these things as part of the value. Exactly. And if part of the value you could offer as the property manager is, and we have this really cool optimization technology under the hood that you can turn on if you opt into this, there's even more reason for the customer to sign up. When you hit the away button on your house, we'll optimize your lights so they go on and off and it looks like you're always home. It's interesting though, like, you know, people don't generally want to be tracked to know if they're coming and going from their inside their actual apartment. But like plotting to get into the apartment, the actual building itself, like kind of have an expectation that somebody else can see that. So there's interesting things on being able to know like certain parts of where you're coming and going. A lot of the multifamily companies, the good ones will tell you that they, when you, when a customer comes in and signs the lease, they stop getting the data. They don't look at it after that point. Right. I mean, as a, as a person who is soon to rent, that's what I would look for. Um, so we, I feel like we got a little negative on things. We spent a lot of time on privacy. We did start out with things that were awesome. Yay. We called our smart homes dumb, but let's, let's take a trip back in time. And I, I'm curious what you guys, many of y'all have been in the industry for a really long time. What would you change or would you change how we're developing this? And maybe it's what would you change or how would you like to see an idealized rollout of the smart home and like how we talk about this stuff and communicate it to people? I, I did give them this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, sure, I can jump in. So I think a standard protocol so that third-party apps who want to talk to all these devices have a standard integration path, if I could go back in time, that's what I would ask for. Because we integrate with all the different thermostat manufacturers, and all of them have different APIs that have different levels of control that change from time to time, and it's you know a full-time job just to keep up with all of that stuff. And so some standardization. Uh, you should call you know me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's created opportunities for others to play in that space as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question I have is, is how much of this is a wish list, a true wish list, right? Because I, I completely agree, but without getting into the details of the prisoner's dilemma and other sort of game theory, like there's a lot of reasons why that didn't happen and, and why that also enabled us to get to where we are, right? Even though it is messy and, I mean, that's just technology, right? It, 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 it's it rarely ends up rolling out in a very clean way initially, and it takes longer than you expect. Um, but when it does arrive, it, it, it usually, right? I mean, it, progress is progress. I would say if we went back in time to all implement security by design, so implement the online security from the very beginning so we don't have all these data breaches, I still worry that if we don't get our act together, people will just get turned off to the whole technology. So we really need to address that. So I think that uh, it all starts in the education system. I think personally we jumped the shark when a company put a product in, and labeled it programmable thermostat and put it in the shelves of the mass market consumer stores. 
That's not the value proposition for the consumer. So if we took the engineering guys and we forced them to learn about consumer experience and, and to understand that that's the most important thing and you need to go backwards from that, if we gave them Jobs 101, Steve Jobs 101's you know, theory there, I think that might change the, the relationship between people and technology that today, you know, technology speaks way down here kind of fundamentally and people speak here. We're bridging the gap a little bit and then we're falling back and, and I think that we just have a divide between the people that are making the technology and the people that are using the technology. To be fair, the guy that created the Nest was a Steve Jobs disciple. <laughs> just saying. Uh, disciple? Tony wasn't quite a disciple. Okay. All right, everybody, please, big round of applause for our awesome panel. And a big thank you to our sponsors and hosts. Yep. Thank you. This was a great discussion. Appreciate everybody uh, coming for this. And uh, I, I'm sure these panelists are going to hang around for a while if you want to interact with them. Also, in terms of the, uh, the co-hosts, just want to make sure everybody knows that there are folks from Gentex here. Raise your hand if you're from Gentex. Uh, perhaps you saw their Homelink Connect demo over here, which is really amazing. It's a good uh, example of something really useful to use for, for home control. Um, uh, Residio, Klaus from Residio was here. Is Klaus still here? Klaus left. Uh, as some of you may know, Residio, which is uh, the residential arm of what was Honeywell, uh, is moving headquarters in the process of moving their headquarters to Austin, which is awesome. Uh, so look for them sort of in the local community here. Um, also, uh, Schlage uh, is here. Devin from Schlage is here as well. Um, and uh, all the Nomis, as we call them, from Yanomi. Uh, raise your hand. There's a few of us here. Uh, so if you want to interact with any of these people or any of the sponsors, uh, bar is going to be open for a while. Make yourself at home and uh, feel free to hang out and chat. Thanks again uh, to a really outstanding panel. Thanks. Thanks.